0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. My name is Mark Lutz. I'm one of the directors of student ministries here at New Life. And I will apologize in advance for every time I do this. I'm not pulling on my earlobe. I have a weird-shaped ear and this microphone hates weird-shaped ears. And so sometimes I have to tug on it to make it know that my ear lobe is not strong and I need to glue my earlobe or sew it to the side of my face so that the microphone sticks to it. Anyway, hey, I know that some of you guys have been praying and even fasting for our overnighter this past weekend. And so you're like, you, some of you are really wanting to know uh, what happened and you want an update on it. So I just want to give you an update. Um, this weekend at... at The relevant student ministries, that's what we call our our youth ministry here at New Life. On Friday night, we held a 13-hour overnighter for 6th through 12th graders. Um, this weekend we had just about 125 teenagers show up from the community through our doors here at New Life. We took them laser tagging, we took them bowling, we had them doing homeless ministries, we filled this entire sanctuary full of smoke and moved all of those lights, and we played incredibly loud music, and we bought 350 finger darts. We built a wall through the center of the sanctuary, we had the gospel preached, we gave away an Xbox One, and 55 kids accepted Christ for the first time. Um it was it was undoubtedly the most exhausting and the most tremendous experience that I've had in the, I don't know, seven or so years of youth ministry um, that I've had, uh, the joy of experiencing um, I didn't get the opportunity to sleep. Uh, I got the opportunity to go home at around 9.30 in the morning and go to sleep for a while. I did just wanna just say thank you to all of you who did devote yourselves to prayer for the 13 hours, Um, people took half hour slots. Uh, We were covered in prayer the entire time that we were here. Um, No one got hurt, at least not badly enough that anyone had a concussion or went to the hospital. Um, Nothing was broken, um, at least not badly enough that it couldn't be quickly fixed. Um, I also wanted to thank the pastors who were here. Um, They were here all night with us. Pastor Chris didn't leave until like 6 a.m. Brad didn't leave until like 3 o'clock in the morning, and then they came back for service. The leaders that were there, you guys were tremendous, so thank my youth leaders, please. They put in incredible amounts of time. Um, And then I've said at each service so far, but I just want to also just say a special thank you to both Tammy Summers and Jonathan Schiebel, who not only were here all night, as volunteers, but then also as volunteers. We're here Saturday night, and both services here Sunday morning as worship leaders back here again to help you guys with with worship um, for services. So thank you guys. Um, Just absolutely tremendous. Okay, now for the sermon, that's my update. It was an amazing night, and you wouldn't have recognized this place, trust me. It was unreal, and I cannot believe how clean Brian Summers got the place, because it was a wreck. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I I explained, uh, I'm I'm Mark Lutz, I'm one of the directors of student ministries here at New Life Christian Ministries. It's a joy to be able to announce myself like that. It's the first time I've preached that I've been able to say that, because I am now one of two directors of student ministries here at New Life. Um, I now get the joy of being able to minister with and next to Alex DeRosa, who I call A-Rod, uh, who is our new full-time director of senior high ministry and youth worship ministry. He got called here at New Life as a full-time employee um, on the 17th of February. And it has been an absolute joy. Alex has been a friend of mine uh, since ninth grade um, when we started to go summer camp together and we started to attend each other's youth ministries in high school. And so it's been awesome working with him. And I also just wanted to just extend a thank you to you as the body of New Life for your devotion to youth ministry. It's incredible incredible working in a church and with a family of believers uh, that that wants to invest in youth ministry in this community in South Butler to the point of having multiple staff members working in youth ministry at the same time. Uh, it, it's just incredible what God has already done. And because of that, now in a more effective way than ever before, we're currently seeing over, currently, over on average about a hundred kids a week between Sunday and Tuesday night walking through the doors from the community, from increasingly broken situations, uh, increasingly broken homes coming through our doors, who are hearing the word of God, who are hearing about the life-giving presence of the Lord Jesus, uh, and, and they're just hearing it and seeing the kingdom of God pushed forward in the lives of teenagers, and I really believe in the bottom of my heart, I've seen a calling from God that we're going to see a transformation take place, in South Butler High School and in South Butler Middle School that is unprecedented, that has never been seen before because of the faithfulness and the continual support and the vision of this church, and that's just unbelievable to me, and and, and I love that. So I just wanted to also thank you guys for that and just update you on where we are. Uh, An evening not long ago, it was several months ago, I was here on a Tuesday night, and I was preparing for youth group, as I usually do. So I was walking around, and I was playing really loud music inside the sanctuary, and all the chairs were down. It was in the fall. I was getting ready for youth group, and I was moving lights around. And raise your hand if you know what dubstep is. Dubstep. Woo, the most people so far. Awesome. Okay, you can put your hands down. If you don't know what dubstep is, it's really obnoxious music, okay? Um, all, all that it is, is it's just uh, electronic. Uh, beats that are put over top of other music to ruin it. That's all that it is. It has almost no lyrics at all and teenagers currently adore the stuff, which makes my job really easy because there's no lyrics. So I can play secular music that teenagers love and it's perfectly clean, it's awesome. It's way better than rap and and hip hop because I don't have to proof it really first. It's like really easy to listen to because it's all clean stuff. So I was listening to some dubstep music and I I was sitting here and during this season of ministry as youth group was growing, I was beginning to pray, and I was asking God, God, what's your vision for me here at New Life? And usually, when youth pastors pray that, they're asking God, Will you please give me a vision for where you want me to go? Do you want me to go to seminary and leave this church and be a pastor? God, do you want me to leave this church and be a youth pastor somewhere else? I'm lucky enough to be in this body of believers, and I don't, I don't have to be praying that um, because I'm not trapped here. Uh, I, I don't really have any other friends who don't feel trapped in their jobs. Um, I'm, the, I'm really the only one uh, that I know of who knows that I can stay where I am uh, and, and maybe someday become a, a pastor and, and plant a church with New Life or, or, or transition where I am. So I began to pray, God, I know that you've called me to New Life. I know that you've called me to minister in Saxonburg, but I need to know what way you want me to minister. And I was really passionate about lots of areas of ministry. I love uh, ministering with 20-somethings. That's most of my ministry team is 20-somethings. And actually, that's becoming less and less true as time goes on. Um, <laughs> one, because we're getting older. Um, two, because there's just more and more people that, that love God and love teenagers that are just coming forward. Um, but I love 20 something ministry, and I love young adult ministry. Uh, I love high school ministry, and I love middle school ministry. And actually, I, I did, I was hired originally to do children's ministry, and I, I still do a love, I love doing children's ministry. And so, as I was praying about that, I realized that I was passionate about following. Far too many things that I was capable of doing and staying married. And so <laughs> that's true too. And so as I was as I was praying about these things, as God, you know, lead me and guide me. And so I began looking at churches that I should have been looking at and seeing what their ministry programs looked like that had multiple staff members inside of youth ministry programs. Uh, Because I was looking at churches that, you know, had 100 or 150 members in them, and I was like, what am I doing that for? That would be like, okay, if our church had one service still, that would make sense, but it doesn't. Um, So that's silly. So I started looking at churches, and most of those churches, the senior youth pastor who had been there the longest, you know, they had grown sick. And raise your hand if you're a middle schooler in here, if you're in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, or fifth grade, Okay, there's some of you. Okay, you can put your hands down. Um, Most people, you're obnoxious, and so they, yeah, you are. Shake your hand. I'm obnoxious. Yeah, it's okay. I love you, so I hang out with you all the time, so it's okay. I can say that. Um, So they've decided that you're obnoxious. They don't want to hang out with you anymore, and so uh, they decide when they can hire a new youth pastor that they're going to oversee junior high ministry, and they're just going to work with the senior hires. And uh, I thought, okay, I can do that, um, but it didn't settle well with me. My heart broke for, for, this, for my junior hires and those that were in my junior high ministry. And, uh, but I was prepared to go with the flow, and, uh, and so I began to pray about that, and God, lead me in the direction that you want me to go in. And so God said, Mark, go to the goldfish. And that was weird for me because I don't like goldfish, Um, I don't like any fish actually, they're gross. I only like fish on a Pittsburgh style sandwich that are fried, that's the only way I like a fish. And so I knew it was a God thing because I would never think about fish, ever. And so I thought about goldfish for a while. I spent about a week thinking about a goldfish and the only thing I know about goldfish is they're gold and you can win them at fairs and they usually die before they come home. And uh, my mom raised them in a fish tank at home And they grow to the size of their enclosure. So if you bring a goldfish home and you put it in a a goldfish bowl, it will stay that size. And if you bring it home and you put it in a pond, it will get eaten by a bass. (laughs) No, that's true. Or a turtle. But if you bring it home and you put it in something larger, it will get bigger. It will grow to the size of its enclosure. And God just told me, hey, Mark, a ministry, will a healthy ministry will, will grow to the size of its enclosure. And I said, Okay. And I looked at the ministries that I was involved in, and I looked at my high school ministry, which I love. And I love the students that are in it. And my devotion to them, man, I, oh, my heart breaks for, for my senior hires. I love them so much. They become like little brothers and, and little sisters to me in so many ways. And I, I still spend a lot of my time with my senior high ministry. Um, but God showed me clearly where I was called because on sunday nights there's 25 or 30 kids showing up and on tuesday nights there is 75 or 80 kids showing up and i said okay junior high it is started telling my friends and they said don't you, don't you think that like people will think that you're hiring a new boss for yourself isn't like remaining the junior high youth pastor a downgrade was <laughs> like Eh, maybe. That's okay with me. I love junior high ministry. And so shortly after that, I drafted a letter and I sent it to the elders. And I said, hey, I, I would really like to hire. It was more eloquent than hey. Um, but I said, I would really like to hire uh, a, new, a new person for youth ministry, a director of senior high ministry with a focus in worship ministry. Because if you ever heard me saying, you know, I'm tone deaf and I'm not good at worship. And, uh, and a, a month or so later, they agreed. And uh, they called on Alex to be the new director of student ministry, senior high ministry, and youth worship ministry, which has been a huge blessing to what we're doing here in New Life and in the community. And today, we're talking about compassion. Um, and we're in a, in a series called Live Like Jesus, and we're coming on the end of a 10-week series. And you're actually kind of in a mini-series inside of a series in the 101s. And so this week is Compassion 101. And... Uh, There's a thing about compassion that I want you to know. The first step in stepping into compassion is that you have to be in line with Jesus. In fact, the only place that compassion is talked about, the only place that you'll find compassion written in the Bible is in reference to the character of Jesus himself or in reference to the characters in the stories about Jesus. Or the stories, okay, the characters in Jesus' stories. So the the stories that Jesus tells, his characters, or Jesus himself. So compassion is inherently a part of Jesus' character. So if you want to have compassion be part of who you are, you have to also be chasing after the person of Jesus. That's what compassion is all about. Okay, so I want to go back to that night, that Tuesday night that I was in here listening to really loud dubstep music. So I was listening to this really loud dubstep music, and the subs were shaking my chest and shaking the sound booth. And Brad, our, our director or our pastor of media and worship arts, came in, and he was going to be uh, doing some worship for us that night. So he was coming in, and he was messing around with some lights for the stage. And whoa! And uh, he was getting some things ready for us. And he stepped in. He said, "Mark, this place looks like a club." <laughs> Yes! I was like, that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like a club. I was like, that's perfect. And you know, some of you guys send your kids to my youth group, and you're like, what? Mark is making this place into a club. You should have been here Saturday night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You should or Friday night. You should be here Friday night because when we built this wall and filled this entire room full of fog, and then we used those giant spotlights that are brand new that maybe you didn't see whenever you walked in. Yeah, oh yeah, they're awesome. Um, and then I danced on stage for like 20 straight minutes while we shot finger darts. It was so sweet. In fact, one of my kids posted a video online of it, and then one of the parents said to one of my other students, "Did you?" You go to a rave? <laughs> and, and she was like, no, I went to a youth gathering, dad, at the church. And he's like, oh, okay, I look kind of like a rave. Uh, and, and, and all of that, I want to settle your minds. Youth group is a perfectly safe place for your children to be. It's not actually like a club. It just looks a little bit like one, okay? There's not any bumping and grinding going on at youth group. It's a perfectly safe place. All of my dancing is like this, okay? This is all the dancing that I do, okay? That's all my dancing. Sometimes it looks a little more hip like that, but I have to have good music for it. Okay, good. Some people like my dancing. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, all, all, all of that to say, um, whenever Brad said that to me, man, it just clicked in my brain. And it was like, yes, like that's it. Because it put words to what I was thinking. Because in my mind, I was creating a place, an environment, that unchurched kids would love to be. I was creating an environment that the unchurched kids of the community would just love to come to. I was creating a place that was unthreatening, I was creating a place that they would enjoy, and as a heads up, in Saxonburg, it's not hard to create the funnest place in the community on Tuesday (laughs) nights. Super easy, didn't have to compete. (laughs) It's like, uh, what's the funnest place in town? Uh, Freezing cold mini golf, um, Or go to the church and play basketball and listen to loud music. Oh, uh, church. So so that's what I did. Um. So anyway, uh, he said that and that clicked with me. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm doing. I'm creating this club-like environment with Foursquare and basketball and Gaga Pit and video games. And after I bring them all in, then I'm going to tell them all about Jesus every single week. And it was like, yes, that's it. And so I went upstairs and I started praying and I started saying, God, lead me into this new thing this is what you're calling us to this is what i'm here for this is what i was made for so tell me what you want me to do and god gave me this new vision he said mark this is what you're going to do this is it so you are going to create a ministry that broken kids love to come to because we believe that healed people lead transformed lives We're going to create a ministry that broken kids love to come to because we believe that healed people lead transformed lives. And he led me to the story of a man named Legion who was infected by demons, who was cutting himself with stones and breaking chains and living in tombs, who after he met Jesus put on clothes and proclaimed the name of Jesus in town And although I don't have a lot of kids who are walking through my doors, breaking chains and cutting themselves with rocks, I do have a kid who came to town, came to youth group one night, who told us his first week here during small group that his dad shot his mom and then shot and killed himself in front of him him when the kid was nine years old. And we do have kids who come in here every week who are dealing with suicidal thoughts. And we do have kids who come in here every week who are cutting. And we do have kids who come here every week who are dealing with divorce. And we do have kids here every week who have lost parents, who have lost brothers, who have lost sisters, who are dealing in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade up through 12th grade with drug addiction, who have parents who are alcoholics, who are abused, who have been molested, who have been raped. And so we're continually reaching the unchurched. In fact, I knew that this was what we should do, and and when we started picking this up and we started running with it, man, kids just started flowing through the doors, and maybe this was seen in, in no greater way than the fact that the kid that lost both of his parents in a shooting and then a suicide brought two friends to the overnighter this past weekend or or maybe in no greater way than the fact that three of my boys who are in my personal small groups, who are all three proclaimed atheists, stepped forward to accept Christ this weekend, and they're on their road to healing. <laughs> or possibly the fact that one of the female students that was out here at youth group, uh, or was out here at the Overnighter, um, who is a proclaimed atheist and whose parents are proclaimed atheists, um, and who is also proclaimed homosexual. Um, posted on her Facebook page and then tagged me and the other people who were at The Overnighter in the post that she loved The Overnighter and then tagged the name of our church in it as well. And man, that was what it was all about for me. Because we're a ministry that we're creating a place that unchurched and broken kids love to come to because we believe that healed people lead transformed lives and we went in January to a leaders retreat. I gave that off to my junior high leaders, and we've been using it as a, battle, as a battle standard ever since, and we hit the ground running with it. And it's identified everything that we do, even to the point of how we pick up the chairs and put them away after I'm done speaking. How we go to small groups, the talking balls that we use during small groups, the games that we play, how many groups we break down to, where we put the small groups, everything. How I welcome the kids, how they're supposed to go see their small group leaders, what games we play, how we play those games, how we break them down into groups. Everything that we do is thought out into the fact that we want to make sure that when you step through these doors, if you're a broken kid, that you feel welcomed and that you love it here, and that in the time that you're here, you experience healing because Jesus is here. And man, for me, guys, that became what it was just all about. And then um, we began talking about our message series and and what we had been talking about. Then we decided to begin brushing up with some really tough subjects, and we decided to talk about who Jesus really is because no one knew, because none of our kids were churched. And so we decided to talk about who Jesus is. We decided to talk about hurt and how we deal with it. We decided to talk about sex and sexuality in general because our students' views of sex were so screwed up. And we decided to talk about the crucifixion and the sacrifice of Jesus for us. And then we decided to spend three weeks um, talking about social media and how we live two lives, one on Facebook and Twitter and one in real life. And I wanna talk about one message series in particular called Hurt and how we deal with it in one story during that series. We were in week one of that series and we were talking about cutting depression and suicide. And people know what depression and suicide are. I'm getting word now that people don't know what cutting is. And I'm sorry, I'm embedded in youth culture so I, I, I'm unaware when people don't know what cutting is. But cutting is, a, it's a phenomenon I guess, maybe it's more in youth culture than I'm, that I'm aware of, but cutting, um, is whenever somebody uses a sharp object to cut themselves with. It's usually a way to let out pain, aggression, depression. Uh, it le- releases endorphins into the body because you're causing pain uh, and it's an escapism to escape the situation. Sometimes it's a sign of suicidal tendencies. Oftentimes. It is not. It's usually a a use of escape. Um, Oftentimes, we get the symbolism because it's across the wrists here and not this way, which is suicide. And kids use stuff to cover here, oftentimes on the arm, on the hip, or on the side. And so uh, we were talking about suicide cutting and depression. And I knew it was going to be an emotional subject. We were talking about it specifically because of that. Many of our students cut. Um, it's, it's not one of these things where we only have a few kids that do it. A lot of our kids do it. I, I would venture to say 25 to 30 percent of our students that come into our junior high youth group cut, or have cut, or have thought about cutting, or desire to cut. And so I knew it was going to be a difficult subject. On top of that, this past fall, one of my cousins um, died uh, perp- from a purposeful uh, suicide, a heroin overdose. Um, and so I knew for me it was going to be an emotional subject. And so uh, we had to talk about th- cutting depression and suicide. And that evening, we had a girl, we'll call her Rebecca. And Rebecca was uh, coming to youth group, hit and miss. And she had recently been grounded from youth group uh, for whatever reason. And if you're a parent in this room, um, please do not ground your child from youth group. Please do not ground your child from youth group. Um, this is, this is my, my rabbit trail parenting thing. I'm not a parent and I get it, but let me just give you a heads up um, for parents and just, this is what I see. Um, if your kid is doing something stupid and you ground them from everything that is good and bad for them, they will still do things that are bad for them, you just don't see it. You will only ground them from the things that are good for them. And then when they are ungrounded, they will not do the things that are good for them, they will only continue to do the things that are bad for them. And then you will call me and ask me why they are still doing the things that are bad for them. And I will tell you it's because you grounded them from youth group. So please, if you're gonna ground your kids, ground them from the things that are bad for them and let them participate in the things that are good for them, even if the only thing they want to do is come to youth group. Please do not punish them because I make youth group so much fun, okay? I know, youth group's a lot of fun. Please don't punish them because of that. Anyway, this child was, was punished because I make youth group fun and that's the only place, that's her release, it's the place she wants to go. So Rebecca really wanted to come to youth group. She wasn't allowed to come. This was her first week back in some time. so She came back to youth group for the first time in a couple of weeks and she knew what we were talking about. And I had a leader come up to me and said, Rebecca's back for the first time. I said, that's great. She said, well, no, she knows what we're talking about. And she came up to another student and said, I'm really nervous about tonight. I know I'm gonna cry because I've been cutting. And I said, okay, that's, well, you're a small group leader you can handle it. Because cutting is not something new for us. Almost every one of our small groups has at least one cutter in it. I said, okay, so you handle it. Let me know if you need anything. So I went to the message that night. I spoke about it. It went well. Emotional evening. A lot of kids crying. We dismissed the small groups. I go to my small group. Heads up about my small group, made full of boys who are all horrible. And I love them desperately, but they're terrible children. And they're not terrible children, they're God's creation and I love them so much and I would, do, I would die for my kids. But they're just, I put them in that closet for small group because it's the only place they don't disrupt other small groups. Yeah, we had to make them sit on top of the lift last week. <laughs> That's probably not even legal, but that was the only place they would sit. Okay, and they were like, "We're sitting on the lift." Okay, and so they were in there. So anyway, I met with them, and I'm sure we talked about something that was completely off topic. And uh, and then so afterwards, uh, I came out a small group, and I was probably discouraged, but doesn't matter. And we left, and, and Rebecca's small group leader came up to me and said, can you come and talk to Rebecca? I said, yeah, I knew this was coming. So I go in, I sit down, and I walk into a room that's full of tears, which I figured, me and Rebecca and Rebecca's small group leader, I said, what's going on? And she explains to me, you know, hey, my you know, my." dad is a jerk, and my mom isn't home, and she walked out. I don't even know her. I'm living with grandma, and we're in the trailer. And, and, and so she goes through this long list of things that just sound horrible, right? And uh, and so then, you know, we get down to it. Well, wh- why why am I in here? Well, was really at home tonight? Because I've been cutting, and yada, yada, yada. Okay, well, and I need to, I need to identify, because there's levels of cutting. There's, like, Paper cutting, like okay, if you've been cutting yourself with a piece of paper, then that is not something I'm concerned about. I love you, you should stop doing that, but that's just an, that's just silly. So why are you doing that? That's just silly. Um, but and then there's uh, there's levels of cutting, so I'm trying to get to why why she's doing it and how much she's doing it. And she's I'm cutting on my hip and my side. I said, Well, okay, can we see that? And so you know, she shows us, and I mean, this girl is like from hip to here is just Just we're not talking like paper cuts, we're talking like pocket knife. We're talking like scabbed over. And we're talking like this girl was was not was not cutting to to feel a little bit of pain. We're talking cutting to bleed. And I'm like, there's not many things that surprise me in youth ministry anymore. This one did. And this was not a cry for help, this wasn't a, I want attention, Rebecca needed help. And she needed help quick. Because if Rebecca didn't get help, this thing which was already out of control was gonna spiral out of her hands and I I was gonna get a call that Rebecca was in a ward because Rebecca had tried to kill herself or Rebecca's cutting had gone too far and I knew it. Because I had seen it before. And I knew the situation I was sending Rebecca into wasn't going to get her help. And I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger for a second. Everyone loves cliffhangers. Our message, uh, our scripture comes today from the book of Mark. And uh, it's from the very beginning of the book of Mark. It's Jesus' encounter with a leper. And I think it's an interesting passage. I'm just going to read it to you. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to a priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required by the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This is to be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Saturday night service, I said, uh, <laughs> I said instead of saying, instantly the leprosy disappeared, I said, instantly the man with leprosy disappeared. And then I made a joke in which I went poof, and uh, I talked about the man with leprosy disappearing and how creepy that would have been. But that's not the point. What I wanna talk about with you guys this morning is the man with leprosy. That's just the first point I wanna make. The man with leprosy, if you don't know what leprosy is, it's a horrible disease. And truth be told, I don't know a whole lot about it other than it makes your fingers and your toes fall off. And it will kill you, and it's awful, and it makes your skin turn white, and you have to wrap yourself up like a mummy. And in Jesus' day, it was contagious, and you were an outcast. And you had to go live outside the city, and you couldn't talk to anyone who wasn't a leper. And you couldn't touch anyone, and you couldn't approach anyone. And if you tried to go like, in or around anyone, you had to yell things like, I am a leper. And so it was a horrible disease. It made you an outcast, an afflicted person. People did not like lepers. And so for this man to approach a teacher, to approach a rabbi like Jesus... And to get down in front of him and ask for healing, ooh, that's a big thing, okay? That's a really, really big thing. And Jesus' response to him is huge, and that's what our whole take-home point is today. Here at New Life, we preach one-point messages, and uh, and that's our take-home point. It's the one thing I want you to remember. Actually, I'd really love for you to remember the Scripture, but it's the one point that we want you to remember, and the take-home point is this. Jesus' touch of a leper shows that compassion is more important than healing. So outside of the fact that the man is a leper and he approaches Jesus, the next thing that I want you to focus on is this, is that Jesus heals this man, but he heals this man by touching this man. Now, the reason that that's important is because Jesus has healed a lot of people. You can go throughout the Gospels and you can see lots of occurrences of Jesus healing people. Jesus heals people um, by telling them to get up and walk. He's like, hey, get up and walk and they get up and walk. Jesus heals people. There's one time this Roman centurion guy, he comes and approaches Jesus. He's like, hey, I have this guy who's sick, but he's not here. And if we wait to get to him, he's gonna die. So why don't you just heal him from here? I believe that if you say he'll be healed, he will be healed. And Jesus is like, and uses his healing powers from far away. And the Jesus rays get to the man and it heals him where he is. Jesus doesn't even see him, doesn't even brush his cloak over him, and then pull it back and heal him like a magician. Nothing. He just gets healed. That's the amazing part. So Jesus does not need to touch. That was a very funny joke. I just did something like a stand-up comedian would do, and almost none of you laughed. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Okay, so Jesus doesn't even touch that guy, yet Jesus takes the time to touch this leper. Jesus does not need to touch the leper, but he chooses to. And that's where the compassion is. Jesus doesn't need to touch the leper, but he chooses to heal him by touching him. I think it's very possible that the touch was just as significant as the healing was. Because you see, guys, the healing, man, that was the cure. But the touch, that was compassion. Because Jesus saw past the affliction of leprosy and saw the disease, which was a man who believed he was beyond the right of human contact. A man who believed he was beyond the right of being loved by anyone who didn't have leprosy. Jesus saw that, he identified that in this man And he challenged that by touching the leper. And through that touch, he shows compassion and representing to us that that compassion heals a section of that man's life that the healing of leprosy never had the chance to heal. That's what he challenges for us today. Back to my story. So I'm in the room with Rebecca. Rebecca's got cuts all up and down her side. I know Rebecca is in danger. And I know I'm sending Rebecca home that night to an impossible situation. Outside my door, I have kids, lots of them, and they're all trying to go home. I have parents that want me. They want to know what's going on for this overnighter. They want to know, they want to know what's going on. And parents, I did not, I should not have done that. That's a bad move. <laughs> that is a dumb move, okay? But for me, sometimes it feels like, oh, What's going on on Tuesday night, okay? So that was a bad move. But there's a lot of people who are trying to get my attention, and usually it is junior hires doing this. Mark, when is pizza night? I don't know. I've told you 15 times, okay? That's usually what it is. They're like, Mark, how much money should I bring for pizza night? I don't know. It's been $3 since the beginning of time, so you should probably bring $3 with you. And so I know that I'm needed right outside the door. Mark, where's the permission slip? In your hand, okay? So... (laughs) So I know that I'm needed right outside the door. So I'm like meeting, I'm meeting with Rebecca and I'm talking to her and I'm like, okay, well i really like to help you. I'm trying to help this girl. So I'm like, can I pray for you? So I, I put my hands on her, I pray for her. I'm like, we really wanna give you a Bible. So I give her a Bible, I pray for her and I send her out the door into an impossible situation. And I think in my mind, I have showed this girl compassion. I've given her the word of God, I've prayed for her in the name of Jesus and I've sent her home and she'll be back next week as long as she doesn't get grounded from youth group or for bringing a Bible home. So, I'm hoping that she'll be back the following week. And she doesn't come back the following week. She doesn't come back the following week because I call a social worker and she's hospitalized for cutting. So, um, I, and I knew that. I, I was hoping that she would get help. She comes back two weeks later and she goes and she meets in small group and, uh, and, and I, I wasn't in her small group, so I'm just, I'm relaying information that I wasn't there. But uh, she goes and she meets in small group and she relays the fact that, she, hey, hey, I haven't been cutting. I haven't been cutting for two weeks. It's been two weeks since I cut. And, uh, and I was hospitalized two weeks ago for cutting, um, but I haven't cut in two weeks. And I'm, I'm learning some new ways to deal with my cutting, and that's great. Um, but the thing that's really pulling me through is this other girl is in her small group and this other girl that's in her small group is, is not, my guess is, these two girls don't hang out. I don't go to South Butler Middle School, but, if you can tell, I have a beard, um, but uh, I'm guessing that these two girls, they probably don't run in the same circles. When you look at the two of them, you look at two of them, you're thinking, probably not friends at school. I don't think the two of them are enemies, but I'm guessing the two of them don't hang out. They probably don't sit at the same lunch table but they are in the same small group. And this other girl, we'll call her Anne, okay? Anne is in the same small group as Rebecca. And Rebecca says, Anne is is what's pulling me through. And now I'm curious why. And we find out that Anne, two weeks ago, hears Rebecca's story. And uh, Anne hears Rebecca's story, and her heart breaks for Rebecca. And after hearing Rebecca's story, she goes home, and her heart broken for Rebecca and her situation. She sits down. She pulls out a pen and paper. She writes Rebecca a letter. She writes her a letter, and she folds up the letter, and she puts it in an envelope. She writes on the outside of that envelope, when I want to cut. She takes it to school with her, and she gives it to Rebecca. Rebecca. And now Rebecca, every time she wants a cut over the past two weeks, takes out that envelope, pulls out that letter, and she reads it. And inside that letter, she finds that she is loved, that she is cherished, that God loves her, that Jesus loves her. She's a beautiful and precious creation. For Rebecca, man, this letter drips with love. It speaks to the disease and not to the affliction. For me, it dripped with compassion. Because that night, an eighth grader, an eighth grade girl taught me what it looked like to truly have Jesus level compassion on others. Because it made my prayer, my Bible, and a pat on the back and out the door look cold and harsh. And I'm not just coming down on myself. I'm just being honest. Because where I offered healing, she offered compassion. What would the world look like if believers took the time and had the awareness to stop simply trying to offer healing and began to offer compassion? Man, as I was writing my sermon I was just crying because it just, it just blew my mind, blew my world apart. This girl who once would label herself a cutter and now has hope because of somebody who was willing to kneel down and instead of just seeing leprosy was able to touch at the heart of the leper. And guys, when I'm, when I'm talking about compassion with you, This morning, that's really what it's all about because compassion takes more of us than what oftentimes in maybe uh, Christian America we're, we're oftentimes willing to give. It takes a lot of awareness. It takes us being fully present. It takes an outrageous amount of love for others. And it takes uncontrollable selflessness. And not just selflessness with our family and with our friends and where it's easy, but it takes selflessness with those who are not our friends and those who don't sit at our lunch table and those that we do not associate with on a regular basis in the hallways at school. It takes selflessness with those who we would normally not get along with. It takes the opportunity to see past the leprosy and to see the leper takes the opportunity to not simply offer healing, but to also offer a touch. To be willing to write the letter when the Bible will simply not suffice. And I mean the Bible will always, will always be good. And it's not like me handing her the Bible was a bad thing. But she needed more than that that night. And I didn't have the eyes to see it because I was listening to what was going on outside. So here I am today just asking and begging of you as the body, as the body of believers known as New Life, gathered together to work at having compassion. Because as we learn to have compassion, we become more like Jesus. As we become more like Jesus, we become more like the only person that was ever truly human who walked the earth since Adam and Eve. As we become more and more human, we become more and more like our true selves. And that's a lot what our challenge is today. Our commitment today is this, I will show compassion to others, especially to those who receive it least, that I may be more like Jesus this week. We'll have an opportunity to stand and say this together at the end of service, and that's a difficult commitment to make, It will take awareness this week. It will take selflessness and outrageous love, and it won't take the type of love where we just fill up our cup and then wait till it overflows on others because oftentimes I find that I just wait till my cup fills up so I can drink it. It will take the type of love in which I'm just so utterly broken that the bottom of my mug is just smashed off because I'm just at the cross so often waiting for the blood sacrifice of Jesus so that as he pours his love into me, it just pours out onto my students. Because me and my leaders, when we have so many of them that are coming that are hurting, we just need to be broken before them. So I pray that this week, in the same way, wherever it is that you go to work or to school, um, or wherever it is that you will be, that you will seek to have selflessness and awareness and love will find those things together to be more and more like Jesus so that you can find compassion because if we all sought compassion throughout the next months or so we will break the fire code on this building because compassion it changes lives pray with me father god i thank you for this time that we get to spend here i pray for my students and i pray for those 55 kids who came forward who have begun the path of healing. I pray, God, that that healing transforms their lives. I pray that healed people will still lead to transformed lives in your kingdom. I pray that your kingdom would continue to move forward in South Butler and in this area, Father. I pray that all of us in this room, myself included, would learn to be aware, to see More than just the leprosy, but would be able to touch the leper, Father. In your name, amen.